It is January 10th, 2020. It's a Sunday. This is episode 118 of the Get After a Podcast. We're joined by what an awesome friend, uh, former colleague, uh, someone who I've got mad respect for. He just launched his book. We did this book, or we did this interview as he was getting ready to launch his book um, just over a month ago here. Uh, Logan is a longtime friend of mine, and he is just, uh, he's a killer. I'm so stoked to share your, uh, or share his story uh, with this audience. And also, uh, his book is available now. It's live on Amazon. The link is in the description here. I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. I know I did. Ladies and gentlemen, episode 118 of the Get After podcast featuring Mr. Logan Bryant. This is the Get After It Podcast, where young professionals, entrepreneurs, and action takers learn what it takes to be a high performer. This is more than a podcast. It's a movement. Now, let's get after it with your host, Aaron Griffin. All right, guys. Welcome in here to another episode of the Get After It Podcast. I'm stoked for you all today because we have a really special guest, somebody who's not only a friend of mine, but he's had a huge 2020. I'm really excited to bring him in here. Um, and his name is Logan Bryant. He's the author of the upcoming book, Master Your Mind, How to Control Your Mental State Instead of Your Mental State Controlling You. This is timely for 2020. I know you've been working on this longer than coronavirus, but my goodness, what a timing book. I'm so excited about this, Logan. Um, Logan and I first met when we both, uh, we both interned with a company called Student Painters, as you guys are probably familiar with this point, if, you, if you're a regular listener of the podcast. Um, I think I met Logan at my first training. I was 18, just as a young whippersnapper, trying to get my business <laughs> off the ground. And, and Logan was actually one of the executives there, gave an incredibly inspiring story, which hopefully he'll have a chance to reiterate on this podcast. But uh, Logan's just a hustler. I love this guy because he's, so he's an associate attorney right now at Benish Law in uh, Cleveland. And uh, I'm just excited to have him on because he's got an amazing story of how he got into law school. I, I mean, just, we've been connected for so long that like now that I'm kind of going through and I'm thinking about the story and everything I know about Logan Bryant, um, there's so many cool things. And I just have a lot of respect for someone who he hustled his way to pay for law school, obviously still paying it off now with, with loans and everything from that capacity. But man, you are there's so much ahead from where you're going and the journey. And I feel like the book is just the start on uh, everything that's going to be building out from the law, law, law program. So, all right, way too much of an introduction there. <laughs> Stoked to have you on the Get After podcast, my friend. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I've been looking forward to it for a while now. You know, we were going to delay this until your book launched. But, but to be honest, guys, I think you're going to get some awesome value from this. And we're going to plug his launch team towards the end of this, where I think it would be a great opportunity to get to know Logan, especially if you have any background with Stu Paint, young entrepreneurs, uh, or if you're just an upcoming young hustler, entrepreneur. Logan's got that lawyer brain, which we all need, because I feel like all of us as entrepreneurs absolutely suck when it comes to legal stuff. So I'm stoked. I'm stoked to have you here, Logan. We'll plug that in a little bit. Give, uh, if you don't mind, give our listeners a little bit of the Reader's Digest version of yourself. Catch them up to speed, assuming this is their first time hearing your story and where you're from. Yeah, so the Reader's Digest version of who I am uh, is that I had no idea who I was in undergrad. And then I ran this painting company that I'm sure you're all familiar with. Um, and it really was just something that was like, you know, it was a way to make money. Um, while I was running the painting company, I got really uh bored during the day because I'd be painting houses all the time, which you're not supposed to do by the way, but I was doing a lot of painting and I would listen to audiobooks. 
And I think almost every year I was knocking off 50, I had one year where I knocked off a hundred audio books. Um, and I started listening to a lot of nonfiction, started applying a lot of it in my life. Um, and long story short, it was a combination of um, listening to all these audiobooks and really just like, like Aaron said, just hustling my way through. Uh, and, and I really just learned like the, the only way uh, to make progress is to take one step forward, right? And I really just applied that to law school. Um, I graduated undergrad with like a 2.7 GPA. It was terrible. Um, and I went into law school uh, with all this new knowledge, right? From, from both these books and really from the process of running a painting company. And I was like, if, if I do this right, I have a clean start, right? If I do this right, I can graduate at the top of my class. And I did, um, I, and I never expected to, but at the end of my first year of law school, I was like 15th in the class and I graduated eighth. And really all I really did um, was, you know, if I was gonna paint a house, um, I was gonna break it down into its component parts and just start at the beginning. And I did the exact same thing. I broke down law school. I'm like, okay, if I'm gonna get an A, what does it take to get an A? Well, how about I do all the reading for once? Well, what's it gonna take to do all the reading? And I, I literally break it down page by page, like, okay, this hour, here's the reading I'm gonna get done. And I just held myself accountable the same way I would painting houses. Uh, it was just a long-term goal. You know, I wasn't getting paid in a week, I was getting paid in three years. So that's essentially, <laughs> that's essentially how I graduated law school. Um, and then I've always had a, a lot of ideas just floating around in my mind on like the impact that I want to make on the world. Uh, and I started writing manuscripts of like, you know, he, here's how I view the world. Um, and I, I was like, what is the most important building block, right? Because if you're going to build a community, um, the, the best thing you can do is to take like, Aaron, here's what you and I have in, have in common, right? Um, now, how can I build on that to teach you something I know, like, it's, you, you know, you, are, you know, you know, two plus two equals four. Okay, now we're going to add on to that, right? Um, and for me, uh, the, the main building block on understanding other people was understanding how the human brain works. So that's how this book got written. And we ended up almost being, we we're probably the, some of the worst accountability partners of like the history of accountability partners with our books, but they're both getting out. So honestly, we're probably, we probably get a leg up on like two thirds of the accountability relationships at least, but we were jamming throughout the whole process of this book. And it was really cool watching you kind of go through the process of trying to figure out what to name the book, what the, what the specific audience of it was, because you have a really, you, you, when you put your mind to a task, you get, you get that crap done. And I feel like that's what a lot of this book is, is how to actually get crap done. And you're going from a method, method, method um, like a, I'm trying to think of the word, but um, an actual process, like getting out an actual mm -hmm. process on paper and hammering it out. Dude, so, so take me back, actually. I really want to hit on, we'll, we'll hit on the book in a moment, but I want to hit on a, a couple of fun stories here because we did, um, you mentioned um, our time with student painters. And what we talked about was, uh, I still remember you coming in talking about uh, you sell, basically selling yourself to law schools with a 2.7 GPA and <laughs> essentially your experience and your soft skills essentially yeah. from that yeah. interest from running that business is what got you into law school and actually got you potentially like some scholarship money in law school too. Oh, I want you to pin on that because it's one thing that I found, which doesn't just apply to anybody going through that internship or program. It's that the way you present yourself to somebody is the way they're going to retain the information. You can have the best resume in the world and you'll get your butt beat if you don't have confidence in yourself, if you don't know what your end goal is for the presentation or for the for the uh, or for the for the interview or the pitch, you want to take us through that time in your life actually going through 
with a 2-7, which I would assume is not what law schools are looking for, hypothetically. Take us back to that interview process and just kind of reflect on how you presented yourself to those. Because I thought that was such a cool story when you went into it. Yeah, for sure. So uh, first things first, I've always been the kind of person, and this is in the introduction of my book, right? Um, I, I use the words, I could do really well at this if only I tried. Right. And I know a lot of people who say that a lot, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, I, I would, I would have a 4.0 if I just put effort in. Right. Or I, I'd be a millionaire if I just, if I just, you know, pedal the metal and I was there. Right. Uh, there's a bunch of people that are like that. And I was like, okay, prove it in, you know, the back half of uh, undergrad. And one of the keys uh, for me getting into law school was that there's three things that go into it. Right. It's your undergrad grades. Uh, and then it's the LSAT score and there's something called a personal statement, right? And so my grades are, they were what they were. I couldn't do anything about it. Um, and I went to Akron University for law school. Um, so I didn't go to like a, you know, Ivy League law school or anything, but I did get a good legal education. I got a good job out of it. Um, but my LSAT score was one of those things that I was like, okay, I'm gonna buckle down and just study for this, right? And I didn't do great. I didn't get like an amazing score, uh, but I got a good enough score to get scholarships. Um, but what it really came down to was the personal statement was I told my favorite painting story, which I'll just recap <laughs> shortly right now. Um, and by the way, this story, I remember, it's definitely the one we're thinking of, right? It's the one I'm yeah, thinking of. And, and it's, I repeated this to my mother when I got home from that first training, because, you know, my mom was skeptical as, you know, like most parents would be of a 18 year old starting a business, especially one in painting when you've never painted in your life. And, and I remember my mom, I was like, mom, you don't understand. There's like a different class of human beings that do this. Listen to the story. And I told her what you're about to tell our audience. Yeah. So I, I firmly believe uh, that every person out there has what I'll call a turning point, right? Uh, you hustle and you hustle and you hustle and you get no results, right? And then all of a sudden the results come flowing in and you, you realistically, you have to hustle uh, until you hit your turning point. And unfortunately for a lot of people, their turning point is also a breaking point and they do something else, right? But if you push through it to where it's not a breaking point, it's a turning point, you, you start crushing it. And so what this turning point was, was I was... Um, it was like a defining moment in my life, really. I sold $39,000 worth of paint jobs and I had produced all $39,000 worth of paint jobs. Uh, my crew on Friday had no idea what they were doing on Monday, right? They, they were gonna show up to where they didn't know. And that, that is the other part of this is that um, looking back, if I, if I hadn't you know, pulled through for these people, I would have been firing all of them on Monday because they wouldn't have jobs. I've been wrapping up my business, been like, okay, you know, you. You ran a $40,000 business, you know, at the age of what, what was I, 23? Like, good job. Um, so for those of you who don't know anything about student painters, we do a triathlon. And that weekend I made, well, looking back, I, I would never counsel myself to do this, but I was like, oh, the triathlon's part of the culture. So that Saturday we drove to Michigan and I met with my mentor, Matt Harvey, uh, who asked me what my goal was for the coming week, knowing I didn't have any paint jobs sold. And for me to hit my, my ultimate goal of $70,000 in paint jobs, uh, I needed to sell and paint like $13,000 in paint jobs that like that payroll cycle, those two weeks. So I told him 13, 13 grand. And he's like, no, let's do something reasonable, like three. Uh, and I said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do 13 grand. 
And I wrote it down and he was like, I think he just humored me, right? He was just like, fine, uh, probably in the back of his head thinking, you know, we're going to wrap this kid's business up next week. Um, and so I go back the next day and the only thing I know how to do, right, is, I, is you're just knocking on people's doors. You're just like, hey, uh, my name's Logan Bryan. I'm a branch manager for New Albany Student Painters. I was wondering if I could give you an estimate. And I'm getting no, 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 no. And I was like, okay, what, what can I do? I'm at my wit's end here, right? And... So really what I did is I went home, uh, I was in a mood. I had lunch with my now wife and I told her, I was like, this, this is it. Uh, I took every piece of marketing materials I had. I took our printer from my house. I took my cell phone, my laptop and I drove to Ace Hardware and I bought a power converter to like plug things in, in my car, right? And I plugged my laptop and my printer in and I was working in this development that only had 14 types of houses, right? They were all, they're all the same. And I'd painted one of each of them at least. And so what I did is I ran around and I took pictures of people's houses. I would take a picture of their house. I put it on my laptop and I quick swap it out on this flyer that I made. And I would just put the price of what I thought it would cost to paint their house on. I put every piece of marketing material I had in a folder and I would walk up to their door knock on their door and be like, I have an estimate for you to paint your house. And they'd be like, no, thank you. We don't want it. And I would say, no, you, you don't have an option. Like you don't understand, like, look at my flyer. This is your house. I can't give this to another person. Like this, this has your address, your house. Like I can't give it to your neighbor. This is for you. Like, if you're not interested, keep it. And they were like, a lot of them were like, uh, okay. You know, and so, so whatever, you know, and that's what I did. And I did that for another six or seven hours. Come seven o'clock. Um, I get to one final house and everybody's saying no. Um, and, I, and I gave a really good estimate to this woman, uh, but her husband wasn't home. And I saw her husband pull in the driveway and I run down there and I ask him um, and they were like, fine, um, you can paint our house. And I was like, okay, here's the catch. Like, here's how important this is to me, right? I'm running this painting business. I, I need to make money so I can live here with my future wife, right? I need to pay rent. Not only that, I have you know, three to four painters who are accounting on me for an income. Um, I need to paint your house tomorrow. <laughs> and it's seven, it's 7 p.m. on a Sunday, right? Um, and I, so I told them I would knock $500 off painting their house if I could paint it tomorrow. And they jumped on that. They were like, sure. Um, and so I pressure washed their house in the dark on Sunday night. And while I was pressure washing their house in the dark, their neighbor came over with this packet that I'd given them six hours earlier and was like, okay, you can do mine. And I was like, okay, cool. Can I do it Tuesday? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, sure. And so by the end of that two week payroll cycle, uh, I had actually booked and painted $14,500 in that two week payroll cycle. It was like a record. Um, and I did exact, I, I didn't change my marketing tactic at all. I did exactly that for the rest of the summer and scraped out exactly $70,000. Massive story. And 70 is, uh, I think now it's 75, but that it was, was the number. Yeah, that was the awards. Well, 70, I was saying, was the, that was the awards cruise number. So if you wanted to actually go out with uh, on the trip with the rest of the company, a, t a high performer status was 70K and you hit it, which is crazy. I want to highlight a quote you just said, which is that you're talking about a turning point that for, for most people, their turning point is their breaking point. And that's so true. As we're coming up on the new year, a lot of goals are going to get set and they're probably not even going to get reset. They'll just get abandoned. Right. And the, yeah, sure. the thing, and, we, and we've talked about this where it's like, it's so easy for the deadlines you set with yourself to get pushed along 
but the deadlines with other people typically never get pushed along. This is why most of these goals never, never pan out, which is just the simple fact that you, 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 other people are relying on you. Yeah. Oh, so, for sure. I, so, so how much, I guess for you, um, looking back on that moment, how much do you think that's changed your life and actually making that crap happen? Like, cause if you didn't, if, if that hadn't have happened, you wouldn't have finished that summer. We we wouldn't have a relationship. So like a lot of, I mean, there'd be, a, I, I'm just curious, how would that have, how would that have changed your life if you didn't decide to go absolutely nuts and just do whatever it took to find a client? Dude, I, I, I wouldn't even know who I would be right now, honestly. Like, I, I don't think I can give you an accurate answer to that um, because of the fact that like, like I, there are some instances in your life where you should recognize like this is not the path for me right and it's sometimes is better to just cut your losses and go somewhere else right and that's fine um but there are some instances in your life uh where the only way out is forward right and for me at that point the only way out was forward, and i had no other option right um, and I, and I don't say that as in that I was economically pressed to not have any, I could, I could have made it through. Um, I would not have personally ever accepted that I didn't do everything I possibly could to continue and finish my summer. Um, and realistically for me, what, what I say that as a, as a turning point, uh, is that I think that that proved, um, that if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to do everything that is possibly available to you to go through uh, instead of quitting, um, it proved to me <laughs> that the results come from it, right? Because um, because you got all these people telling you all the time, like like the amount of times I've been on the phone with you and you've called me and been like, no, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going, you know, just do it. Um, you need people like that in your life, right? You're like three years younger than me, but I call you all the time for that kind of you know that kind of motivation. So, um, but but it's nice to see it actually work for once. Is really what it is. So. It, to answer your question, if I hadn't done that, um, I, I can't even imagine what my life would look like because I, I don't know how I would have gone through law school um, or realistically what would have happened. And I likely would not have the work ethic to have the job that I have now either. So it just it's amazing how much when we talk about mindset, that's that's what it is. At the end of the day, mindset is first yeah. over everything else, yeah. because no matter where you're at with your headspace, um, that's, what's going to, that's, what's going to define where you're at. I think that's a good way to transition though, into your book and mastering your mind. Give us a little bit of a breakdown, man. Uh, let's start with actually, and you went into it a little bit, but what's the inspiration behind this, man? Why, why are we publishing a book? Yeah. So I'm publishing a book, um, because I, I was always really interested in politics, right. And I wanted to break down politics. So my first book draft uh, kind of ended in like, how do we form our political opinions? Um, and realistically, I just want, I kind of wanted to break it down into how the brain works and it, it just segued into what it is now. But if I, if I had to, uh, say why I'm writing a book, it's that I, I think I have a lot of knowledge in my head. Um, and there's a saying out there that's, we teach what we needed to learn the most. Um, and for me, I largely think the content of my book is what I needed to learn the most. Um, and where I'm going with this is that all those books that I was reading while I was painting houses were, I, I would be like, okay, here's a problem I have, right? Let's see if there's a book out there on it that I can listen to and see what they have to say, right? Um, and one of my big problems was essentially like my, 
subconscious brain would just drag me off on a tangent and I could never get anything done, right? I, I just couldn't. And so this book is essentially the neuroscience of mindset for your average person is, is really what it is. Um, and to break it down a little further, uh, your brain emits electrical signals, right? And those electrical signals fall in one of five wavelengths. Um, the deepest one is deep sleep. The second one up from that is like a dream sleep or deep meditation. One up from that is relaxation. One up from that is uh, like deep thought, um, like you're working really hard. And then the highest level of brain electrical signals is like a stroke of insight, um, like a eureka. Oh my God, I just figured it out, right? And so the book kind of goes through all of these. Um, and it's really how you should structure your routines and your day to build habits using this framework of neuroscience. Um, and it's, it's really for the people out there who are like, I just can't find, find myself uh, getting, you know, whatever it is done. Um, well, here's what you're doing wrong. Uh, you're, you're not working with the way your brain evolved to work. Um, and that, that's what it's about. What's, uh, what's something that if we go back to, I was just thinking about this because I remember this is how I think we've re we reconnected uh, a couple of years back, maybe not reconnect, probably connected for the first time one-on-one -on -one was, uh, was the, was just banging out audio books. Cause I was doing the same thing with, um, I remember fixing, I remember fixing a job, particularly what job it was. And with painting, it's like, it is easy to bang out audio books a little bit. I mean, it was harder for me cause I'm always on the phone, but it was great in between calls that, that I could just bang on audio yeah. and driving. Right. Right. And, um, that's actually, that might've been where I got more of those books done was driving. And, uh, what, what for you though, was I, I, I don't like the whole, what's the most impactful book mm -hmm. on you? Because in my opinion, just from reflection on it, my most impactful books resonated not because the book was so amazing, but specifically what I was going through. So like, if you ask me my favorite book of all time, it's Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, but we were also fixing a house that we like destroyed. I mean, we absolutely just painted everything we weren't supposed to paint on the house and we were fixing it for three days. And I recognized in that moment though, that this was, this was my fault that everything happened. And that's why that book resonated with me so well. Um, what was the book that resonated with you so well um, out of all of the, the ones that you, that you read, is there, is there any particular that stand out that you'd maybe recommend to a young professional, young, young? Yeah. Actor? Yeah. And um, so my, the back end of my book has a suggested reading uh, list on it, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you one, um, which is deep work by Cal Newport um, is uh, the subtitle of that is rules for focused success in a distracted world, I believe. Uh, I, have a, I have a quote from that book though that is on the fourth page of my book. And this is how much of an impact it has, right? Uh, the quote is who you are, what you think, feel and do, what you love is the sum of what you focus on. And for me, uh, I think that book had such an impact on me because I was just kind of going through life I, I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to let the wind or the river take me where it takes me, right? Um, and I, I grew up uh, what I would call relatively privileged in the manner that the wind took me uh, in a direction that a lot of people would want to go, right? Um, and what I, what I say about that is it didn't not take any effort on my part, but I had a lot of support is what I'm saying. And so long story short, um, deep work 
was really, um, it was, it was really a book that I read that was like, here's a little bit of science on how you can really take control over your own life. Um, and why you should take your own control over your own life. Right. And it, it really got me thinking on, um, it really got me thinking like philosophically, you know, who, who am I as a person? Like what defines you as a person? And the conclusion of this book is essentially that like the definition of who you are is the sum of all the things you do before you die. Right. Um, and if you don't put any intention into that at all, uh, you have no control over who you are. Right. And so that, that was like a big, you know, light bulb moment for, you know, it was a eureka moment for me um, that I was like, man, I need to, I need to really put more intention into who I am as a person and what I do and how I spend my time. Um, and it, and it really laid out a method for how to do that. So that, yeah, that's, that's it. I love that. You know, and I, I, I want to bridge into that too. You're, you are an, an associate lawyer at your firm, which, you know, and just from your level of experience, how long you've been there for those, just a clarity on this, like Logan is, and I don't think you'll mind me saying this. You're one of the lowest totem poles at the firm, probably outside of interns, which means you're, you're, you're doing a ton of casework, a ton of work on the work. Well, you're doing a lot of the odds and ends work that probably not many people want to do, which means you have a huge, busy, tight schedule. What do you recommend for somebody structuring their day? Because I, I hear it all the time, which is that I just don't have time to do this X, Y, and Z thing. What are some simple things that the audience of this podcast can start implementing in their life daily or weekly or whatever the case is? Obviously, the moral of the question is how do you get so much done? But stemming it back, what are some actionable things that I'm sure you laid out in your book, but some of the things that someone could take and be like, okay, well, Logan's working his tail off. <laughs> as a lawyer, but he's also launching a book. I know we're going to get into maybe a master. You got a lot of stuff that you've been working on for a minute that you're going to roll out after the book, but give me a little bit of that. Uh, is there anything you get advice for the audience on that front? Yeah. Um, take your number one priority and do it the first thing of the day is my number one piece of advice. And um, the reason I say that we'll go into a little bit of the, a little bit of the brain science here. Right. So I'm sure you've heard of the concept of decision fatigue, but if not, I'm going to recap that for your audience. So they did, they ran a study uh, and by they, it's, you know, some university psychologist professor ran a study um, on judges granting parole. Um, and long story short, uh, people would come in from the hours of nine to noon and the judge would consider their case, would you know consider the facts, hear testimony, and would decide on parole. Uh, and then it, later in the day, they do the exact same thing, right? But uh, if your if your case was up for parole earlier in the morning, you had like a seventy five percent chance of being more likely to be granted parole. And what that was was um, the default decision for the judge was what's going to cause the least amount of harm, right? Granting parole to a dangerous prisoner causes harm, leaving them in prison where, you know, the thought was like, oh, you know, default, leave them in prison. They're not going to hurt community that way. They'll, they'll be up for parole again in six months. Right. And so what they found, though, uh, is that there are two things that decrease decision fatigue and it's eating food and sleeping. Right. Um, and so long story short, uh, the more decisions you make, the harder it becomes to make a decision. And that's why people like Barack Obama and Mark Zuckerberg wear the same thing every day. They don't even have to decide what clothes they're wearing. And so 
why I say take the most important thing in your day and do it the first thing in your day. Um, you're going to wake up and you're going to go through those brain states. And eventually you have, you have about two hours in your day of solid beta brain, deep work, which is, which is really when you are like, you're zoned in, you're focused, um, your best idea. You, you not only are the ideas coming to you, they're flowing through you. They're getting on, they're getting on paper. Um, it's, it's, it's really the best time in your day. Um, before, before you are, your brain is just too mentally taxed to continue doing that. And so my number one piece of advice is wake up, shower, eat breakfast. And about half an hour after you wake up, uh, pound on the thing that is the most important for you to get done that day. What about for someone who is, that was also, that was great. I want to ask in terms of you've had some, uh, I was just thinking about how big of a question that was. I asked you in terms of if you hadn't made that 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 student painter moment happen uh where that transpired as to where you're at today um what about for somebody who feels lost as to who they're trying to serve if, if they're in business what they're trying to do in that sense or maybe they've been in a position they're they're looking for new inspiration and they're just they're frustrated they're they feel stuck sure. what are some what are some things they could do to try to get unstuck whether it's with their whether they're trying to discover what they're best at yeah. what they can do or maybe it's just to revitalize the flame try to get try to actually get things back to back to normal and actually not even normal like new inspiration newfound momentum sure so uh there's there's what i what i guess i like to call momentum and discipline and then there's trajectory right? In that you can, you can move uh, and you can move quickly. You can move slowly. You can move in a disciplined manner, um, but you need to know where you're moving, right? Because if your trajectory is north and then you do a 180 and turn in the other, like you, you're not making any progress, right? You need to kind of choose where you're going before you start moving. And um, I, when I was writing my book, I couldn't decide whether to put this in the, in the very beginning as the introduction or in the very end, but it's actually in the conclusion of the book doesn't ruin it. So I'm, I'm going to give it now. Um, I, I like to do an exercise uh, that is essentially think back to what I just said about what defines you as a person, right? Who do you, who do you want to be? Um, what defines you as a person is the sum of all the actions you take from the day you're born to the day you die, right? Now, I want you to imagine yourself at the sunset of your life. Uh, what do you want to have accomplished? And realistically, I've, I've read uh, some, some studies from some business psychologists on people who are at the end of their life, and they generally have two regrets. Their regrets are that I either A, did not make the impact on the world I knew I was capable of making and now I'm out of time, or their regret is B, I spent way too much time uh, doing something that wasn't uh, fulfilling to me, and I should have spent that with family. And I kind of break that down into two ways. It's either I, um, I, I'm going to help others, or I am going to do something that is fulfilling to me, like, a, like fulfills my soul on like a spiritual level, right? Um, and realistically, I don't think those have to be mutually exclusive. I think they should be the same exact thing. Um, we think of it in a kind of economic perspective, I am going to do something that helps. <laughs> like if I can help someone else and that thing that I'm doing to help someone else also fulfills me and my family and, and it becomes like an upward spiral, right? 
And so realistically, uh, my advice to someone who is lost would be imagine yourself, um, you, know, you know, imagine yourself at the sunset of your life and what, what could you see yourself doing now to move in that direction, right? To, to have no regrets and say, uh, you know, you know I, I had an impact on the world and I personally was fulfilled while I was doing it, right? And um, the next question, of course, is always, well, I, I don't know, what, what should I do? You know, I, I, and especially for a lot of like 19, 20 year olds um, and often even 30 or 40 year olds, they don't know the answer to that. And so the best answer I've ever heard comes from Tim Ferriss's four hour work week, uh, which is do whatever makes you feel the most alive, right? Uh, and you can always ask somebody in, in the last year, what is the thing that you have done that makes you feel the absolute most alive, right? You forgot about all your cares, all your worries, all your stresses. You were present. You were in the moment. You were enjoying it. Uh, and you, you could do that every day for the rest of your life, right? If you don't have an idea, start there and say, okay, this is fulfilling to me. Absolutely. How can I make it fulfilling for someone else? Uh, and then go forward until you hit a turning point and reevaluate. I love that. Cause you're actually, it's, it's literally looking at how do you bring in somebody? Like, how do you enjoy the thing? It's asking yourself, how do you not only just do it, but how do you enjoy it? Yeah. How do you bring fulfillment into the process? Dude, that's huge, man. You want to talk and speak a little bit to your, your future plans, what you're up to. Um, obviously we're, we're going to be launching this book. You want to speak a little bit to maybe the launch team and, kind of uh, uh, what your goal is for, for this whole book and what you're, where you're going. Sure, we'll go in order. So I plan to launch the book uh, roughly around Christmas. Um, I was recording the audiobook earlier today. So I got a number of things that need to get done, um, but I am recruiting my launch team. And for those of you who are unaware of how the book publishing process goes, uh, the long story short of it, is that the more people that review your book the week it launches, the better it does, right? And so what I'm looking for is a, is a list of people to buy my book on Amazon because your review doesn't count unless you buy it, uh, read my book and leave an honest review. And if you want to be on my launch team, I'm just going to plug it right now. Go ahead and email me. My email is my first and last name. That's Logan Bryant, then 012 at gmail.com. Or you can otherwise just reach out to Aaron and he'll connect you with me. So after I launched the book, um, Aaron, we've discussed this before. This book is actually part one of four, right? Um, I outlined a very large book um, and it was looking like it was going to be 80 to 100,000 words. And uh, for, for a first book, that's, it's too hefty. People don't want to buy it for an author they don't know if they like or not. And um, there, there were other parts of this book that were, this book's about your brain. Uh, there's a book, a, a thought process to this about physical health, about economic health, and about what I call, I guess it's like a sociological health, like how, how healthy are your relationships with other people, your family, your friends. Um, and this book was like my take on inner mental health. Um, and realistically, my, my thought process here was that all if you, if you could solve all four of those issues for a community, there would be no political problems, right? Like, like if you could solve, you know, economics, physical health, mental health, 
and interpersonal relationships, you will have no problems, right? And so realistically, uh, what I wanted to do is I wanted to start building a community based on this. Um, and realistically, I, wa I want to test it too, right? Um, because I refuse to be one of those people who clings to an idea with, you know, and it doesn't work for 50% of the community and you, and you just point fingers at that half, right? I refuse to be that person. Uh, if my idea doesn't work for everyone, there's something wrong with it. And so realistically, what I would like to do is test that with a beta group. Um, and I'd like to start that by testing the ideas that are in this book. And so what I'd like to do after launch is I would like to get a group of eight to 12 people together um, and essentially see if I can coach them through uh, whatever obstacles are in front of them. Kind of, I, I'd like to realistically coach them through their own turning point, right? I don't want them to hit the breaking point. I want to coach them through a turning point using the tools uh, in the book. And then eventually I'd like to, you know, build a community out of that and expand on it. I love it. Why, why do you think, uh, uh, why do you think somebody should be looking at your book specifically? What's the, what's the key? I don't want to say a selling point, but, um, and I want to wrap up and speak to time here, dude, I really appreciate you volunteering your time for the podcast. What's, uh, what's kind of the biggest takeaway if you could have, if you could describe the, the avatar, if you could, of the, of the book and who you were writing to, who's the best fit for specifically? Yeah. So the, the avatar for the book, um, is, it was really people who are like motivated and they do want to make an impact. Um, and everybody wants to know how to measure their own effort, right? Um, like, am I putting forth hundred percent effort? Um, am I doing everything I possibly can do? Um, or am I not right? And so I was one of those people who would sit and just scroll through my phone. Right. And I kept saying like, I am not putting forth the maximum amount of effort here. Um, I, I should be doing more, right? I, I need to be doing more. I'm not doing everything I can. Um, and that's because I'm, in other parts of my life, I was just massively burnt out, right? And I had reached a point of decision fatigue where I, I, there was no way I was gonna do anything productive the rest of the day. What I should have been doing was going to the gym, cooking, doing laundry, doing something like that that is productive and, and is fulfilling and helpful. Um, but I felt bad because I'm like, oh, I, sh I should be being productive. I have more productive hours in me. No, I was just sitting there scrolling through my phone. And so realistically, this book is for those kind of people out there who want to be productive, uh, but want something to measure it against to know like, like I am being as productive as I am capable of being in a like healthy, balanced manner. I love it, man. I'm stoked for where you're headed with this. And uh, um, obviously I think you already lifted it out real quick. If people wanna get into your ecosystem, your community, man, how can they find you? Give them the book, name of the book again, yeah, give them yeah, the yeah. socials. So book is master your mind how to control your mental state instead of your mental state controlling you uh, my name is logan bryant you can contact me uh my email that's logan bryant last name is b-r-y-a-n-t 012 at gmail.com um, and i'm most active on facebook so you can just search me uh logan bryant you can message me there uh, otherwise, you know, you will just do this too. You can send me a text message, 330-635-8322. I put it in the back of my book. Why not put it on your podcast? So <laughs> there you go. Unprecedented access to Mr. Brian. All right, Logan, really appreciate your time. I think this is impactful for a lot of people. I love your story. 
uh, and also make sure you come back and jam with us in 2021. Let us know how this go book launch goes. Absolutely, we'll do a follow up. Sounds great. <laughs>